It's a fabulous song to uh, come prior to my comments today. Um, you know what a powerful name is the name of Christ. And in many ways, that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I honestly want to ask, essentially, each of us here, uh, to what degree we encounter the power of Christ in our lives. It might be a little different. It's coming from a different place, I suppose, in terms of, of context and, and, and the biblical focus. But uh, do you know the power of Christ in your life? Or do you just know about Jesus? Different thing. That's what we'll address today. Let me pray. Okay, we'll jump in. Lord God, it's an incredible thing truly to um, recognize that the name of Jesus is powerful and that that name uh, can be used as his authority appropriated to our lives so that uh, um, the power of God rests on us and transforms us. And Lord, uh, I would pray for every single person here today, even as I pray for myself, that as we look into your word, the Bible, that we would really come to terms with the truth in terms of what it means for us to know uh, the, the power of Christ resting upon us and freeing us. God, uh, we just give this time to you and we pray that as um, this message comes that you will work by your Holy Spirit that uh, our hearts would be deeply touched and that we would find again the amazing reality of God in this place. And we ask this in Christ's name. Well, I want to ask you this morning, um, kind of an, uh, an odd question, I suppose it is, but the question is this, do you think life essentially is good or bad? I mean, as you think about how you live your life, your experience of life, overall, is it a good thing or, or a bad thing? Is it something to celebrate and enjoy or is it a struggle and a hardship? Because struggles and hardship are really part of life, you know, we heard today of four families that have been bereaved in our congregation within this last seven days. And it's really easy to say those four families have lost loved ones. You know what's really, really hard? Is to be one of those families. It is hard to lose someone you love. And it is hard to grieve a loss. And this is part of life. That's part of the heartache, the struggle, the difficulty. We have struggles in our relationships. Um, in marriage, you know, Let's face facts. It can be really hard. It can be tough. I don't think there's a, 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 a single example of a marriage. I, I mean, I don't believe it at least. I guess I can't speak categorically, but I don't believe there's ever been a marriage where heartache and struggle and even pain hasn't been part of it. That's just the nature of two people trying to live intimately, closely together uh, in this world of ours. Sometimes, you know, uh, you know it's... It's, it's emotional struggle, loneliness, depression, so forth. Those things are very real, and many, many people encounter them. If you encounter some of that stuff, don't think you're on your own, um, because that's part of life for lots of folks. I could go on and on, right? I could talk about all the hardships and difficulties and the struggles that we endure, struggles at work, conflicts at work. Life can be really hard, but there are also great experiences in life come into a relationship with Christ <laughs> all of a sudden there is that relationship with the living God that is an incredible blessing it is just one of those rays of light in your life that gives hope and joy um, when we really encounter that thing it's a beautiful wonderful thing you know I talked about the struggle of losing people but there's the beauty of birth you know and, and there are weddings 
And, and there are events in life that are, that are great, and our relationships truly can be fantastic, and often they are. So, I, you know, I don't know that there's an answer. I'm not going to try to answer the question today, but, you know, I suppose it's both. It's good and bad. It's joy and it's struggle. It's heartache <clears throat> and goodness. But as we open up this discussion last week <clears throat> from 1 Samuel 17, um, we learn that the reality is that the struggles that we have in this life of ours, uh, which are many, are not just random acts. They're not just things that we encounter because... Uh, we're alive, they are very much a part of the, the, the dynamic of life as a follower of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, which is the parallel passage that we're going to engage in this series, says that the struggles that we have are um, not against flesh and blood. They're not physical realities. They're not the obvious causes, if you would, which cause us to struggle. But again, and here I quote, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think for a lot of people that was quite a striking statement as we dwelt on it. Many of us have probably heard about it, but you know, when you really start to dig in, you really start to think about it, the struggles that I endure, the struggles that I experience are because of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, you have to believe in a heavenly realm in order to believe this, of course. That's critical. Um, if you are a biblically rooted Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, we believe those things. We believe in God. We don't see God. <laughs> We don't hear God audibly talking to us, but we believe in God. He dwells in the heavenly realm. We don't, you know, we believe in heaven, place to which our loved ones go when life on earth ends. We don't see that dynamic, but we believe it's there. We believe in angels all through scripture. Angels act as messengers for God, spiritual beings, which are in the heavenly realm and so forth. And as there are those good powers and dynamics, there's also one called the devil. And there are dark angels or demons which are part of that heavenly realm. And as we described again last week, these are the enemies of our souls. The devil seeks to harm our lives and to destroy us, certainly destroy the work of God in us. And Ephesians tells us, essentially, he's the primary cause of much of the struggle and heartache which we know. It's sobering to think this, to really believe it. And then start to engage the dynamic around it, which I want us to do more and more as we move through this series. Um, this has all risen out of the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. David being that young guy who comes across the two battle lines drawn up. The Philistines have invaded Judah. Saul, the king of Israel, has drawn up his battle line. They're looking at each other. The great giant Goliath comes out and says, let's not all kill each other. or Let's do single combat. You send out your champion, he'll fight me, and whoever wins, prevails over the other, then that will be the winning army. And David comes along, and, and in, this, in this story, we recognize there's a, a something of our story being played out. And that Goliath, this enemy of God's people, is the representation of spiritual evil in our lives. The devil. And I want to dig into this story step by step as we go forward through the next weeks. And I want us to begin to think and begin to talk, and it's just a beginning today. We're going to be much more practical in weeks to come, but begin to talk about how to overcome the evil one. What do you do with this truth? If you really believe that, you know, the, 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 the struggle that we have is not against phys physical things, flesh and blood, but spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, what do you do with that? Because you better do something with it if it's true. 
And we're going to take a look at, uh, at some foundational principles today about that dynamic. I want to go to the next verses in the chapter. We read verses 1 to 3 last week. I want to read verses 11, so, sorry, 4 to 11 for you today from 1 Samuel 17. See, some people with their Bibles, I celebrate that, even if it's on your phone. Uh, dig into Scripture, learn it, study it, know it, and let it impact your life. But I want you to notice a couple of things as we, um, as we think about uh, this text. Number one, the last verse will describe the state of God's people after being confronted by Goliath. Uh, it's a bit scary. <laughs> uh, what, what we'll read. Uh, can you find yourself in this? Um, the second thing I want you to note is the focus that begins here and runs throughout the chapter, I'll, as I will define for you, I will show you, of a, a, a focus on armaments and weaponry. Now, you cannot read this story without recognizing that throughout the story, this is a big focus. It just keeps being repeated and focused upon and discussed, discussed again and again and again. So to note those things as we read verses 4 to 11 of this chapter. It says there, Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the, to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then I will be your, we will be your slaves, but if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul, that's the king of the Israelites, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now that last verse says something. <laughs> they, they, they were scared skinny of this guy. And there was nobody in their ranks who was willing to fight Goliath. They were terrified and deeply shaking. The message version of the Bible says, um, where is it now? That they were terrified and lost all hope. I want to suggest to you right off the top today that that's sometimes us as we face our enemy. Do you ever get terrified and deeply shaken because of life events? Do you ever get afraid, terrified, and lose all hope? because of what the enemy does in your life, I suggest, and I will suggest to you that that's the case. Now, you know, what's going on here is that, um, that, 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 that the, the, the champion, the incredible threat is paraded before God's people, and they cower, and, and, and they're afraid. And I want to tell you there's reason to. I mean, just recapping, he had, Goliath is a bronze helmet, bronze leg armor, bronze javelin, you know the chain mail? You know what chain mail is? Those linked metal coats that people wore in kind of the Middle Ages when they were going into battle so that a spear or a sword couldn't penetrate. Can you picture that? It weighed 125 pounds. There are many people in this room who don't weigh 125 pounds. And this was only one piece of his armament. This guy was a brute. He was massive. And he was intimidating. You know, the, the spear that he carried was, was thick like a, like a weaver's beam. It was a beam of wood. 
not just a small shafted spear. And the, and the tip of the spear weighed 15 pounds. Can you imagine that sucker flying toward you and hitting you right in the gut? <laughs> no wonder these people were afraid. It's almost like they should have been afraid and dismayed and hopeless about ever overcoming this man so heavily protected. How can you get through that armor to hurt him? And, and so well-equipped, look how lethal he could be in battle. Focus on armor goes on. Let me just take a few minutes with this because I want to just show you uh, the reality of it. And the Bible is saying something to us in it. But David shows up to fight uh, uh, Goliath and, and, and he says to King Saul, listen, um, I'm willing to go and fight this guy. And Saul said, well, you're a bit young, but okay, in the end he decided to do it. Uh, and then this interaction, verses 38 and 39. Note the armor focus. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on him. It's kind of Goliath-like, although in a minimal way. David fastened on his sword and over the tunic uh, tried to walk around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Note this. He said, no way, I'm not going to wear this armor. This isn't something I'm going to do. Then look at uh, the next verse, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand. This is his shepherd's crook, shall we call it, right? He's a shepherd. He's come from the fields tending sheep. Chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his, the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistines. I'm telling you, Scripture's saying, look at the incredible contrast here. Heavily armed warrior and a shepherd with a slingshot. Are you getting it? It doesn't make sense. Um, next verse, please, 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. Here comes the threat. Here comes the enemy. Here comes the lethal warrior. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? There it is again. Sticks? You're going to defeat me with your shepherd's crook? It's a bit of a joke almost, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Nice guy. Next verse. David said to the Philistine, you come against me. Listen, here it is again with sword and spear and javelin. And the scripture saying as, look, notice, take note. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by what? <laughs> Sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. My friends, I want to tell you that there is messaging happening here in Scripture. There is an intention being given to us, and it's capped off by verse 50, which says this. Oh, sorry, I'm going to read uh, verses uh, 48 and 49 first. This kind of tells what happens. Do we have 48 and 49? Here we go. All, uh, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him... David ran quickly. I love that part. We're going to come back to that. But he ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, talking about what David has, and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down 
on the ground. He was dead. Look at verse 50. It's like a, a capstone. It's a, it's, a, it's a statement of what's being said. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now you can't read that passage and not see this inordinate focus on weaponry and armor and what's going on. The Bible is saying something to us. And here's the point. David went unarmed and he went unprotected. It wasn't the strength of his armor. It wasn't the power of his weaponry that, that won the battle. It was something, or if you would, someone else who gained the victory that day. You know, it wasn't David's personal strength. You know, not uh, he wasn't a nine-foot-tall, powerful, experienced warrior. He's actually portrayed as a weak, young kid over and over and over again in this text. You know, he, he, he um, is from the Benjamite, Benjamite, Benjaminite tribe, the smallest and the weakest of the tribes. You know, he is a shepherd, not a soldier. He has literally just come from tending sheep, and his dad sends him there to bring some food to his brothers who are in the army. When he's there and his older brother sees him, he demeans him and, and says, hey, you don't belong here. You just come to watch us get slaughtered. He sends them back. He said, go take care of your sheep, kid. Right? He's called a boy by King, by king Saul. Let me do this. This is, again, verse 33, when, when uh, he's try, David's trying to convince Saul to, to let him go up against Goliath. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You were only a young man. Uh, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Other translations say boy. You know? And when he moves toward Goliath, we've already read the, the verse, we won't read it again, but he, you know, say, what are you coming at me? You know, you're a, you're a, you're a boy with a stick. Like, the, the message is clear. You know, all this speaks of David's weakness. All this speaks of David's inability. All this speaks of how it doesn't make sense that he would go up against, never mind defeat, defeat. Uh, a great giant and a warrior. There is nothing about him that suggests, suggests power or strength in contrast to the power and the strength of Goliath. And the message is this, it wasn't David that defeated Goliath that day, it was God acting in him. It was God powerfully acting in that young guy. Let me read 45 and 47 again, and you're just going to hear it. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord who is almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And then verse 47. Oh yeah, and all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Who is going to win this victory? David? with his little sling and a couple of stones and a, and a shepherd's crook in his hand? No. What, what's being spoken to us here? What we're being convinced of here? What we're being invited to believe here? It is that it is God who took on Goliath through his servant David. And it was God and God's power which overcame him that day. And so we believe that as David put that stone in the sling and as he swung it around his head and as he let it fly, we believe with all, all that is in us that it was God who guided the stone to its lethal destination. God was present. God was at work. God's power overcame the power of Goliath. My friends, here what I'm, here's what I I'm here to tell you today, and we're going to dig into the specifics of it as the weeks go by. In his own way, God will do the same thing through you and me. You know, our enemy will attack us, and we will know struggles, which might at times 
make us want to become like that Israelite army, make, it f- make us feel like, you know, this is impossible to overcome, but God is so at work in our lives that, that our Goliaths will be defeated. They will be defeated if we can just find the means of making it happen. Isn't this the, one of the primary messages of the text that in the end the Goliath was left on the ground dead without a head? What seemed impossible is possible. What, what dismayed and terrified the Israelites, left them hopeless, was accomplished. Yet, my friends, we do not fight like the enemy fights. Do, do you see it? Do you hear it? Let me flip over again to the New Testament passage, which, which has, I think, great bearing here. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. Paul speaking. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. I wonder, I wonder, I don't know, but when the Apostle Paul was writing this, was he thinking of the David and Goliath story? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We, the weapons we fight with, the means whereby we engage the battle, have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now that's for you, as much as it is for me. Now what's a stronghold? A stronghold is one of those dynamics whereby evil comes into our lives and he establishes himself on God's territory. We talked about this last week. The, the Philistine army came, onto the, came into Judah, onto the land that God had given to his people. He didn't belong there, and the armies of Israel uh, came together to drive him off. They weren't doing a very good job before David, <laughs> but at least they were there. And the reality is that there are times evil comes into our lives and he establishes strongholds in our lives and it's our job to get rid of him, but not by our own power, but by the power of God, divine power, which will demolish strongholds in our lives if we will just engage the battle and figure out how to exercise the power of God in our our lives. You know, I I love Zechariah 4.6. I love this verse says this. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And if you have a stronghold in your life, and I'm going to suggest today you probably do, you have, you have a dynamic in your life where evil has come and he has insinuated himself upon you and, and he maybe has taken some ground as we described last week and you have a struggle in your life It is not by your might or it's not by your power, but by the power and the presence of the Spirit of God that you will be set free. And whether we choose to engage this battle is a big question. The armies of Israel chose not to. One young guy decided he could. One young guy went up against this massive being and said no more of this defying of the God of Israel and his armies. So how do, you make, how do you make this happen? How do you engage the battle? Well, we're going to talk lots more next week about this. I just want to lay some foundational principles before we get there. Number one, you've you got to identify the enemy, and you, you have to know what the enemy's threat is in your life. Do you? Are you aware of the stronghold or strongholds that exist in your life, if indeed they're there? Likely are, because the enemy is real, and he is powerful, and he is active. You know, David arrived uh, to the battle, and he was excited to get there. A young guy, a boy, as most of the text says, and dropped off food that his dad had sent to his brother's platoon or whatever. 
And he had, ran out to the, to the battle line to see what was going on, and it didn't take him very long to hear the taunts and, and the defying of Goliath. He came 40 days in a row, 40 days in a row, and he taunted the armies of Israel. It says in each time that they, that they ran away in fright. <laughs> Fa- fabulous army, right? We don't want to be them. <laughs> we don't want to be the army that avoids the battle. But he came, and, 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 but he knew pretty quickly what the problem was that day. He, he knew pretty quickly who the enemy was and what the enemy was doing and, 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 and what had to happen in order to make things right. And I want to say to you, have you identified the work of evil in your life? And this is a deeper spiritual dynamic that I'm talking about here. But if the enemy is real and if the enemy has attacked and if the enemy has taken ground as we described last, uh, last week to establish that foothold in your life, you, you got to know what it is so that you can do something about it. I'm just run through a bunch again. But I want you to notice in each of these dy- dynamics that I'm going to describe to you, it can be very possible that you end up thinking, you know, this is too powerful for me. I can't do anything about it. And you end up afraid and dismayed. Afraid and hopeless. You know, some people struggle with addiction, right? I can't not talk about this again this week because addiction is so common. Um, drugs, alcohol, I mean, food addictions. I mean, you just name them. They're there, and they're powerful, and they take root in our hearts, and our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in the heavenly realm, forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Um, and you can end up dismayed like the army. You can think, there's no way I can win this one. I've tried. I can't do it. Um, Is that you? Sometimes it's a relationship that's gone wrong. (laughs) Sometimes it's a relationship that, 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 that is, you know, too far gone for me to envision it getting better. It's beyond hope. There's nothing I can accomplish. Sometimes it's, it's, it's just plain sin. Again, we spoke of this uh, last week. Uh, and I'm just reading again about the reality of pornography in our world. I mean, I could talk about any sin, and there's so many, materialism and greed. And, but this, this is a new dynamic because of the Internet and so forth, and it is so incredibly p- common, both now in women as well as men. And it is incredibly powerful so that once you get sucked into that dynamic, when the enemy works and he takes hold and he is powerful, it is incredibly hard to let go. And stop. You know, sometimes it's anger. You know, here are anger management courses that people are required to take and so forth. But something happens in the various expressions of life and anger wells up inside you and you lash out verbally or physically even. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and you know, it's a powerful force and you can't contain it and you can't stop it. And people get hurt. And afterwards you regret it with all of your heart. And you've tried and you've tried, but you can't. You can't keep yourself from this rage. Sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, it's those emotional problems that we all deal with one way or another, some people more than others, but you know, maybe a depression and you've just accepted it as part of life because it's too much and you just can't see any hope of healing and you just get used to it and you accept it as part of life. And on and on it goes, you know, bitterness. Bible says that bitterness can send its roots into our hearts so that we can no longer see God, you know, and, and, and sometimes that becomes hatred and a, and a desire for revenge wells and up and up and as someone has hurt me, I want to hurt them. You know, my question to you, 
is what is your issue? What is the dynamic that you are experiencing because of the work of evil in you? If you can't identify the problem, you're never going to get it fixed. But I want to tell you these things we have, it's possible to exercise divine power so that that stronghold is destroyed in us. This is a message of hope. I'm here to tell you there is hope because of what God can do in you. So, of course, you need to identify the enemy. What's, what, what else is, though, is required? And this is my main point here today. It's the scripture's main point, at least. <laughs> we have to embrace weakness. We have to come to a place in our lives where we believe to the core of our being, uh, I can't overcome this power, but I know someone who can. You know, this isn't new to us. A few months ago, we talked about 1 Corinthians 12 for over a couple of weeks, where Paul the Apostle says, my grace, Jesus is speaking, my grace is sufficient for you, for, for listen to this, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The power of God is maximized when we embrace weakness, when we recognize we can't. That's when God shows up powerfully. Paul goes on in that text to say, I will only boast in weakness. Why? So that Christ's power might rest on me. Here's a critical question for you this morning. Those of you especially who believe in Christ and follow him, do you know the reality of Christ's power resting on you? Have you encountered it? Have you experienced it? See, here's what we do when we identify a struggle, any of these sorts of things that I've described to you, addiction or a sin that we can't break free from and so forth. We do our best to fix them ourselves. This is so human. This is a lesson we've talked about before, but it's an incredibly difficult lesson to learn apart from the enlightenment and the, and the empowerment of God to understand and to grasp it. You know, for example, we realize, you know, this life isn't going to last forever, and at some point I am going to pass away, and I, when I do, I want to go to heaven. I don't want an eternity without God. And what do we do? So, so many people get busy, and they think, okay, now I'm going to live a good life, because if I live a good life, if I live a moral life, if I live a better life than a worse life, if you would, I'm going to stand before God someday, and he's going, he's going to say, well, good enough, come on into heaven. Where the Bible never, ever, ever says such a thing as a possibility. The Bible says categorically, none of our good works are going to be good enough to get us into the presence of God and into his heaven. See, self-reliance is built into us. It's weaved into our souls when what the Bible actually says is we need to find faith in Christ. We need to find the forgiveness of Jesus for our sins because we're not going to stop doing them and we're never going to be good enough. What we desperately need is the work of God in us to forgive us for our sins so that when we stand in his presence someday, he's going to look at us and he's not going to see sin and he's not going to see guilt. He's going to see his precious child who has been fully and completely forgiven of everything that they have ever done and he's going to say, come on, let's go, man. Let's enjoy eternity together. And it's not because of what we have accomplished. And it's not because we have been good enough. It is simply because of what Jesus has accomplished for us and our faith in that one named Christ. You see, the enemy of the gospel is self-reliance. Self-reliance is weaved into us. 
So when it comes to these strongholds that I've described, these, these dynamics which have, you know, taken, where the enemy is taking ground and, and we are struggling, we determine so often to try to fix ourselves in our own strength. We try and we try and we try, but we so often fail and we are left dismayed, overcome by the power of the enemy, defeated, believing that we will never be victorious. Look at how big and how powerful he is. What we need to do, my friends, is stop trying. Admit our weakness and our inability. And start trusting in the presence and the power of Christ. So that his power, divine power, might rest on us. And then, of course, what we need to do, and we're going to tackle this, as, as I say, as the weeks go along, we've got to figure out how to access the strength of God in our lives. We've got to figure out how to get to that place where divine power is resting on us. And Christ is overcoming through us, just like he did in David's life with Goliath. And again, I ask you, have you ever experienced that? See, part of this story is really cool because even before the Goliath encounter, David had experienced the power of God in him. You know, he goes to the king and he says, let me go fight the giant. And the king says, you're nuts, you're a kid. Eventually he relents. But David convinces him by saying, you know, when I have been a shepherd, I have, ha I have fought a lion and I have fought a bear, and God gave me victory in those instances. You see, he had experienced the power of God in his life so that when the time came to, to uh, address the, the uh, Goliath, uh, dynamic, it says he ran toward Goliath, confident in the knowledge that God would work, that God would accomplish what he knew only God could do. See, here's the thing. Too many followers of Jesus today never see God act in them in this way. You know, their faith is all about knowledge. Oh, I know about the cross, and I know what Jesus did on the cross, and I know about what that means for me, and I know about his resurrection, and I know he sits at the right hand of God, and I know that he reigns. We've sung about it today, and I know that he's powerful, but I've ever experienced his power. Has the divine power ever rested on us and helping us to overcome a power that is greater than ourselves? So when it comes to battling evil, my friends, and overcoming the strongholds, sometimes, unlike David, we don't know what to do because we've never done it before. I say to you this morning, never let that be you. Let's figure this out. Let's engage this dynamic so that we can experience it and see incredible things happen. See, to put it a different way, here's the problem. Too many Christians live uh, under the destructive power of the devil and never break free in a way that they could. They just live with the stronghold established and they suffer its consequences. And they become like the Israelites. Oh, that's a shame. Too often terrified. Fear is an earmark of the devil's work in our lives. If you ever experience fear, think about it. Who's causing it? And, 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 they, and they're left dismayed, hopeless, because they've tried and tried and tried, and they've never been able to get beyond this thing that plagues their life. You know, they live, we, I should say, I want to include myself in this because too often it's me too. We live as slaves to sin and the devil. We act as if we are slaves when in fact we are not because we don't know that there's a way out. 
We don't know like David that there is a rescuer and he uses the word several times in the text. Someone present to them who can save them by his mighty power. And you know what we need? Without going into detail this morning, we very simply need to invite God into those areas of our lives where we need him to do what only he can do. We need to say, Lord God, I am incapable of overcoming the giant. I am incapable of overcoming the power of sin and evil in my life, but I know that you can, and I pray to the core of my being that you will work in me and that I might know your power, that I might break free of this thing. You see, we have to pray in the name of and in the authority of Christ against evil. We have to renounce evil. We have to, and I'm, you know, kind of going to show my cards for next week. We have to put on the armor of God. We have got to learn in such a, to, to live in such a fashion that the power of God is available to us and active within us. Now I want to tell you, our lives will be transformed. We will be set free. We will be changed. Let me conclude by saying this this morning. And this is really, really simple, but so often the simple things are the important things. In this story, God wanted Goliath dead. God wanted Goliath lying face down in the dirt, dead. He wanted Goliath and evil, to, uh, the enemy, to be defeated. He wanted the Philistines off the promised land he had given his people. He wanted victory for his people. Personalize that. Think about that. He doesn't want his people left with his threat in, the, in their lives, with the enemy on the doorstep threatening to take over and to plunder and to destroy. And I want to tell you, he wants evil and its influence out of your life. And he wants it out of our church and he wants it out of our community and he wants it out of our world. And someday he's going to do that. And that's good news. See, my friends, our Goliath can fall flat on his face if we engage the battle, but only if we will do so in weakness, not in our own strength. Goliath can fall flat on his face if we learn to appropriate the power of the living and almighty God in our lives so that the Lord might overcome the powerful enemy, not us. And I want to tell you, too, what the Lord wanted in this instance is that he wanted the whole world to see, as David said in these verses I've read to you, he wanted the whole world to see that there was a God in Israel who saves. And I guess in the end of the day, I'm here to say, how do you need saved? We're saved when we first enter into a relationship with Christ, but man, we need a lot more salvation. <laughs> I know I do. Time and time and time again, God save me. Oh, God help me. God do what only you can do in me. See, at the end of the day, there are two choices for us in terms of how we will be, how we will experience life. We will, we will cower in fear like the Israelite army, terrified, dismayed, and hopeless before an enemy which is too big for us to overcome. Or we will end up running toward our Goliath, confident in the presence and the power of God, confident that our God in us will overcome that which is destroying our lives. And I just say to you today, my friends, you get to choose. I get to choose. And I want for you and I want for me, I want for us to find the freedom and the victory that Jesus Christ died on a cross for, that we might know 
that we might encounter, that we might experience in him. It can be yours. This is taking us a step deeper, isn't it? This is taking us beyond knowing the the things of Scripture and and having a good theology. This is encountering the spiritual realm. It is exercising the power of God so that we might break free and become what God wants us to become, to be and to know the life that God wants us to have and to enjoy. I invite you as we move forward to think seriously about these things. Know the stronghold. Uh, But in Secondly, and most importantly today, recognize your weakness so that you can depend on the Lord Jesus to do what only he can do in you. Let's pray. Lord, I know every single one of us who uh, gather here today, uh, we need you in a very real way. God, some of us need you first and foremost just to open our eyes and to help us to see you and to believe in you in that whole spiritual realm and and to stop, you know, struggling to, to gain merit in your eyes, just to, just to yield ourselves to you in faith and invite Christ into our lives so that we might have a relationship with you both now and for eternity. And Lord, where people need saved in that, in that sense, I, I pray for it today. We pray together for it. Um, but Lord, we need continually to be rescued and to be saved and to be delivered. All these words which are used in Scripture or what you are willing to do in us. We need to break free from the power of evil that has worked itself into our lives. God, I pray for everyone here today. I just pray that you will identify to them the enemy. Help them to know what that stronghold is, where the devil has um, taken that foothold, as Ephesians 4 says. God, help us to know where we need help from you. God, then I pray with all of my heart and we pray together. God, we will be a people who embrace weakness and give up the the myth that somehow we can do this on our own for Goliath is too big and the enemy is too strong. And then, Lord, I pray, oh God, how we pray together that we as individuals and we as a church will simply just invite you in so that you might do what only you can do. God, even now we pray that you will come into our strongholds and you will break them, you will demolish them, as 2 Corinthians 10 says, so that we might know life and freedom and joy in Jesus, maybe in a way that we have never known it before. God, I pray that this group of your people, that we will not be like the Israelite army, dismayed and afraid, hopeless, but I pray we will be people filled with hope because we know that you, we have access to a divine power which can demolish strongholds. I pray specifically today for people, Lord, who need to be set free. I pray that you'll give them your power. That Holy Spirit, you will work in a profound way. And you will set people free. God, we know that you're real and that you're good and that you love us. And that you want the giant dead. His power reduced to nil. So that we can rejoice in you. Make it a reality in our lives, we pray. Make it a reality in our church, in our community, in our country. And God, someday we pray that you will make it a reality in our world. For this we pray in the name of the powerful Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Chris.